The uh, theme of the afternoon talk is what is Buddhism about? <laughs> In the days that we have uh, been here there has been plenty of references to the exploration uh, of the view just to make a short reminder at the beginning here that as with everything else that which is expressed is a view Uh, another uh, person with some knowledge and experience with uh, the Buddhist tradition obviously may express quite different view or, or views so this is a view of not the much as I would like it to be (laughs) (laughs) so just to go back a little step in the time uh, here Um, one of the most famous of all stories of human history concerns the uh, uh, story of Gautama the prince who at the age of uh, 29 found himself in what one might call a uh, domestic crisis or early life, midlife crisis or whatever. And under the um, caste system, under the responsibilities of being a member of the royal family, the heir to the throne and the kingdom, there was naturally enough a very strong expectation upon him to follow in that family tradition of the royalty under his uh, father, uh, King Sudodana. His mother uh, died at birth, uh, just sorry, just a few days uh, after his birth, so in fact brought up by a single parent, and his mother's sister uh, became the adopted mother um, for uh, for uh, Gotama, and in this period of crisis, it is said that the trigger for it was while living a very very protected lifestyle with all the comforts that went along with it, he found himself noticing and uh, and, wit- and witnessing um, an aging person, a very old person. Uh, a very sick, dying person, a person, a, a dead person, and also a, a, a yogi, and this spark triggered something uh, inside of him, and raising lots of doubts about what really mattered in life, and that seemed to have triggered a huge amount of disillusionment with all the privileges of uh, royalty, all the comfort. And he decided, just a week after the birth of his son, Rahula, to make a break. And he uh, asked the person who uh, took care of his uh, horse, in fact, and it said that on the night that he uh, fled the family, fled the uh, responsibilities, there that he couldn't bear with Yashodara, his uh, 
lovely, beautiful wife and son to pull the, the sheet back to look at the son uh, in case he changed his mind. And the uh, outcome of this, he rode to the edge of the uh, city and fr uh, from there discarded all the princely clothes and went on a spiritual search. This search lasted for some uh, six years from the age of 29 to the age of uh, 35 and he reports that he had two primary experiences at this time. Uh, one was with uh, Alara and the other was with uh, Udaka. These were two highly respected gurus with their uh, ashrams and uh, followers and one pointed to a deep state of mystical uh, experience in which there was the transcendence of the body and forms and things uh, in that experience and there was no thing around. And with the, that experience, through the meditation process, his teacher said to him, uh, to uh, Gautama, look, you, you have achieved and accomplished this uh, mystical state of uh, uh, infiniteness, and therefore I invite you to uh, teach with me. What he could not reconcile was that having this very profound experience, this very deep state, and then after a period of time, coming out of this meditation state, he then found himself in everyday situations with all the issues and factors and stuff uh, that was going on. Uh, and this was dissatisfying. So he then left and then found another teacher and uh, other teacher, but a similar kind of parallel where gauging in the process there genuinely uh, deep and important and rather profound uh, meditations in which the whole construct of perception and that which is perceived loses its kind of substance uh, there and as he said he couldn't say it, he had a perception yeah, but he couldn't say there was no perception uh, there and in this mystical state of, uh, of uh, in infinite again important, significant, but the same issue arising. Then back into facing consciousness, its content, sights and sounds, and much, much more. And in that um, uh, uncertainty there, he then moved away from that and went on a search of his, by himself. He spent this time in Saranath, which was a deer park, there, it was the jungle and all the right wild uh, creatures uh, there. And the sadhus, that means the yogis, the, uh, the austere ones, lived there. And they had turned their back on Varanasi, which is the oldest city of pilgrimage uh, uh, in the world, and felt, well, that was just for devotees, which had the belief that if you took a bath, a bathe, in uh, the river uh, Ganga, it would contribute to uh, the purification of your karma. This was a strong uh, religious belief at that time 
hence the number of people who went to Varanasi. And as the Buddha uh, commented later, well, if, if there's any truth in that, then all the fish and the Ganga are the most purified beings on this earth because they live in the river all the time. And of course today the, the river is far, far, far from uh, purified. Even in a generation or two when I was in staying in Varanasi 50 years ago, things have changed rather sadly in terms of pollution from then to now. So the yogis stayed there, did these austere practices and some of the intention with fasting, um, putting small fires, I've seen the yogis when I was a, a monk in India, uh, around you, with the endeavor to burn off everything inside, to burn up uh, everything uh, uh, there, and sitting in the heat of the sun with these small coal fires around, with the attempt to exhaust everything, to have no attachment to anything whatsoever. Having explored this, he said he got so thin through all the fasting that he did, he comment, commented, whether it's true or not, something else, but he commented, I could press my belly button and touch the spine at the back, which you'd have to be pretty thin for, for, for that. And as one of those who have done a fair bit of fasting in my monk's uh, life and never got close to that, I... Thank goodness. Anyway, so out, out of that, he left his friends, uh, and this is the important, most important point of this uh, there. He found himself in uh, the village of uh, Gaya, <coughs> Bodh Gaya. Bodh Gaya is uh, late, Bodh, which means awakening, was added later. And he made a quiet resolution uh, with himself and that there's something he needed to understand and to really understand there's something he just didn't understand and it wasn't about just having experiences deep experiences, spiritual, religious experiences and living the life of a sadhu, of a renunciate there's, there's something more and it just, just wasn't coming to him and, and then he had a moment um, and these are reported in the discourses of the Buddha of recollection and it was a small but significant turning point and the turning point was he remembered when he was young no age is given so we're talking perhaps 6, 8, 10, 12 he said when I, when I was young I was sitting under a tree and my father King Sudodana was ploughing the field and this normally would be done as the first day of the ploughing season, which the leader or the governor or the king or ruler uh, did. And while sitting under the tree, he felt happiness and calmness and a, and a quiet inner joy and depth within, within him. And he wondered to himself in uh, Bodhgaya, could this be the way, rather than all of this intensity I'm putting on myself to transcend the body, to work through the pain, could this happiness with calm and mindfulness and meditation be more supportive? And that recollection became a turning point in the priority in the meditation. And then 
despite you know, some difficulties he refers to, he had some realizations. And these uh, realizations formed and never changed the body of his teachings throughout the 45 years of teaching from the age of 35 through to the age of uh, uh, 80. If I may say, I have the small privilege in February of this year to have um, um, engaged in rather short periods, like three weeks or a month or whatever, of 45 years of uh, annual teaching uh, uh, in uh, uh, India. And sometimes we have the thought it would be nice if, uh, at least I had the thought, to um, have uh, engaged in the annual visit to uh, India for 45 uh, years in my uh, much love and appreciation for the Buddha and in February of uh, uh, this year I was able to uh, com complete that. Far more importantly, with the, the uh, night, the realizations of what mattered in life for every human being really struck him. It struck him profoundly and deeply and as he said right after, I woke up. I really woke up. And then from that he became referred to when people saw uh, him, ah, there goes the Buddha. In English, look, there goes the one who said he woke up. That's what it means. He woke up. And the teachings are about waking up. And what he realized was, which he called truths, in the word um, truth in Sanskrit is satya, and in um, <clears throat> Pali is satya. My, my daughter, um, her middle name is satya. It means truth. And the Shona, her first name, it means spring, it's American Indian. So when um, uh, I found out that my partner was very, very, uh, uh, was pregnant and it was very, very uh, unexpected and definitely very, very unplanned, then you might say the spring of truth came to me. <laughs> and that was, that was found, incidentally, small story, that was found out. We came to Australia, I was here to teach. Gwenwin was travelling uh, uh, with me, no idea she was pregnant. And I was teaching, as I will be from Saturday evening, in the uh, uh, forest at Damananda, between the Damananda, Dharma, Ananda, Joy, and the Dharma, and Bodhi Farm, the uh, Enlightenment Farm, and on the hilltop there is where the uh, meditation uh, centre, I know three or four of you are going, short health warning, this is four to five star, and you'll now be going to the reality of one star, that might be a bit too much, kind of moving towards the one star. Uh, <laughs> there's austere, bare, um, hardly any contact with the uh, outside world, and uh, authentic. And while there, Gwanwin and I had an agreement, that's the partner, that when we had, <clears throat> when the one-to-ones took place uh, there, and she wanted this, I'd be in the role of the teacher, hmm, she was in the role of the yogi, the practitioner, and so she came, and for the one-to-one, -one, she was very, very quiet, didn't say anything, 
So, of course, I'm wondering, what did I say, if I did something wrong or whatever, you know, because he just sat there. And then she said, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, you hear this in the middle of a retreat, you're the teacher. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a slight waking up experience. <laughs> Uh, there, so the, uh, that was on a Friday, and then we had to wait till the Monday to go to the clinic. And in the e- I always remember this in the evening time, we got to, got to the clinic. There, there, very quiet. You know, you could just hear the cicadas, hardly anybody around. You know, this is 1980, 1980, and very, very uh, quiet. And went into the clinic, and I said. Shall I come in with you? Wait, she said, no, no, I prefer just to take the test myself and, the, you know, the, the pregnancy test. So I just w- waited, waited there. And out of the loud, out of the radio, which the receptionist was playing, was the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, Jumping Jack Flash. And I thought, that is exactly how I'm feeling. <laughs> and as soon as she walked out, she d- didn't know whether to be happy or unhappy. You know, sometimes it's like that. And then, and Nishona is now 37 years of age, and time, time goes by. So, on the night there, rather than using, oh, this is a view about things, use the word satya or satya. This is the truth of things. It's much more powerful, it's much more direct, it's quite unambiguous. And he said there are four primary truths which the noble ones are concerned with. People who live a noble, wise, intelligent, thoughtful uh, life. So though it gets translated as the four noble truths, as a kind of hub of the teachings there, Actually, the literal is the four truths of the noble ones. People who live a noble way of life are profoundly and deeply concerned with these four truths. It's the guiding rhythm of their life, you could put it. And the first one, very simple and very obvious, there is suffering in life. Period. There is suffering in life. There is no statement from the Buddha that life is suffering. It does not appear in 10,000 discourses. And he says that this uh, then says, when you looked at this suffering, what contributes to this suffering there? And fairly obvious, which we sometimes forget, not getting what I want. This generates suffering. Losing who I love or what I love, where there's holding going with. This is suffering. Being separated from that who or what I love. And fourthly, there, usually translated, which is fine to use, holding and attachments. But the word attachment which is what the Victorian scholars who did wonderful work and the German scholars uh, in translating 
the primary Buddhist languages of Pali, Sanskrit, Tibetan and Chinese they use the word attachment uh, there but the word upadana literal meaning of it is to inflame a situation so any situation which is causing uh, which is exaggerated, inflamed greed is inflaming a situation anger is inflaming a situation fear is inflaming anxiety uh, is flaming grief is inflaming reactivity is inflaming so Buddha looking at this and said not getting what I want losing what I have being separated from what I need or must have or whatever and this inflaming of situations we can inflame objects use it so much we can inflame the body we can inflame the feelings we can inflame the perceptions we can inflame the formations that means the speech the body and uh, um, the states of mind and, and consciousness I and my and meditations and much much more the consciousness mindfulness uh, field and, and so this is a truth of life so it's not something applied personally just for him or just for, uh, uh, for you where there is something suffering that is, that is going on and then the second is it does not happen randomly very important yeah. it, there is no such thing as an accident there is no such thing as destiny no such thing as chance no such thing as the will of God uh, no, no such, no such uh, things as, as a mystery when suffering arises there we may not understand it we may not realize it and we may say oh it was an accident oh um, oh it was destiny oh it was karma oh it was fate or it was just a chance they're all words that human beings use because we haven't gone deep enough and everything which arises arises this is the second truth because and only because there are causes and conditions for it to arise there is no other possibility for something to arise without the causes and conditions for it to arise and he said this is a truth of life it's incredible insight it's an incredible insight there. and it didn't rest there in the night either and then he realizes and sees from his insight and his experience there is a resolution to this we do not have to live in suffering and all the causes and conditions for it <clears throat> there is a uh, a resolution and he referred that the uh, this resolution there he used many many words for its res uh, resolution uh, there so it's an immense skill itself I have to say here and <clears throat> with its resolution it the, the inflammation of a situation 
of self, of other, of this, that, the inflaming of it has ceased to be. And, therefore, this realization of the ending of the inflaming of situation is, he referred to it, common word, we've all heard it, nirvana. And nirvana means without fire. Literally. It means there is no more inflaming of situations. And this brings an extraordinary peace. But in the skillfulness of these teachings, he doesn't use a single word. And I went through the discourses of the Buddha, <clears throat> been through them, of course, 50 years of exposure to them, uh, many, many times. There are some 10,000 discourses uh, uh, in the text. And in the movement and the exploration through these uh, discourses there, I found more than a hundred words to, which are synonymous with liberation, enlightenment, nirvana. And some of those words include the realization of the infinite, of the immeasurable, transcendence, truth, reality, freedom, uh, awake, awakening, um, the island, the ultimate refuge, and much, much more. So it's a teaching which is pointing to the exploration of the human experience, seeing where there is suffering in life, there, seeing what the causes and conditions are, but the seeing in order to change one of those causes or conditions there, therefore to change the outcome which is the suffering there. And that third truth, that there is a, an authentic liberation for human beings. <clears throat> and even the challenges of the body with the pain uh, which may come, doesn't have to rob one, so to speak, of the realization of the end of suffering. It can be pain, all sorts of historical factors uh, there, but still there can be a profound realization in spite of. And then the fourth truth of life, there are ways, really it's more plural, of exploring this life so fully to really look into the fields of experience and then for convenience sake uh, and for helpful support for those who want to really understand life well he, he formulated a convenient language called the Eightfold Path first one of right understanding and view and intention and communication and speech and action and livelihood and intentions and mindfulness and concentration and some of those, perhaps all of them in different ways we have touched upon in our time here and one of the values of that is sometimes we need to look at one of the or two of these areas and ask ourselves as a human being who wishes to live with authenticity and integrity uh, and uh, with wisdom in life, is it that I need to address possibly one or more of those areas? The concern that I have is that sometimes people would think 
oh, if I'm going, if I meditate morning and evening there, oh, then I'm really doing my practice. It's uh, useful for some people, but it's not what the Buddha is talking about at all. What the Buddha is talking about is the addressing of the totality of the whole day, every day. And therefore, every word that comes out of our mouth. And these days, what goes into the mouth as well, because then they had the privilege of only organic food, and those privileges have gone. We have the... Sometimes it's what our intentions are, or it might be around our livelihood. And I think today, if uh, the Buddha was around, he'd call it the ninefold path rather than the eightfold path, because one of the most difficult, challenging areas is around relationship. I mean, I've been hearing your voices every day, so <laughs> you've, you've been confirming it. And, and a wise relationship. And so the word, those of you who read the text, right right understanding, right speech, right livelihood, right action. We often think right means right versus wrong. It can carry that, but the word sam, samma, like samantha, uh, <laughs> there, um, is, it, it means that which is fulfilling. You see, the, the embodiment of it sitting to our right uh, here. So, actions, exactly, Guruji. So, the, the movement of the life in which there is a movement, to, the movement towards, interesting, just got cut up of that, just to make sure, just to make sure the ego doesn't get in there. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so, a fulfilled life is really finding ways to live with wisdom and understanding, finding action with uh, ethics uh, there, to find a livelihood which is nourishing for others, not just about a career, about me and myself and personal success, and mindfulness and much, much more. And to find all of that, to explore that which is fulfilling, and, in, and as that fulfillment begins to come, suffering goes down. And one has a fulfilled life, and a fulfilled life is the same as an awakened life. Therefore, if it's really understood in the depth uh, uh, of it. And when he came out from, he spent some seven weeks around the tree, uh, there reflecting and uh, on on this that human beings are concerned with suffering, concerned what causes it, concerned with resolving it, and and concerned with ways to uh, uh, resolve it. It's such a common denominator there. And after the seven weeks, he then had a doubt. Uh, I, I like the, the, the text very much. There's a certain genuine... He had a doubt. <clears throat> and the doubt was that essentially, in the extremes, there are kind of two kinds, we might say, two kinds of people uh, are there. There are human beings whose priority in life is personal success, making money, career, um, status and position and acquisition, the secular culture and model 
that, uh, of course, we and generations before us have been sold uh, of the idea of success. And then there are the uh, others who they have strong religious beliefs. This is case belief in Brahma. He was the supreme God whose definition of Brahma means God the creator. It's exactly the same God as the God of the Christians, God the creator, the, the, the God of the Jewish community, of Jehovah, the, the creator, and Allah, the creator. And the Hindu word for this was Brahma, Brahma the creator. Uh, all the other gods came in uh, uh, actually later. And, and so people, sometimes of course with secular <coughs> values, believed in God the creator. Uh, there, who created the world, and if we believed in God and the books and uh, the saints and the gurus and much, then of course we would find her heaven uh, there. And, he's, and the doubt was, will people understand this teaching, which is not about secular values and not about religious values? It's something else altogether. It's about paticha samyupada which means about the conditions which bring about events. And it's about that. And he said, and sometimes I know how he feels, he said, it would be wearying and tiring to speak about this and people don't understand. What's the point? Yeah, right on. <laughs> there. And then a a uh, a Brahmin who, who uh, uh, but one a very deeply religious Brahma, close to Brahma, close to, uh, to God, came up to him and 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 said to him, Gotama, there are people in this world with, as a metaphor, little dust in their eyes little dust in their eyes speak, find those people, speak to them they'll understand that this world is born of conditions and causes which comes together and, and years ago long time ago now, when I, I think one of, one of my first visits here I um, was teaching maybe, I think it might have been um, uh, in Queensland so the um, ABC radio asked me very sweetly and kindly would I like to uh, be on the morning program for a few minutes uh, 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 etc one of the friends I arranged so I went to uh, ABC to the, to the studio and so I explained to the interviewer what I did and I said look just was a Buddhist monk in the east six years and disrobed and now giving teachings here in Australia and these teachings are called Dharma D-H-A-R-M-A and um, we're, and, uh, and I'm here to give some retreats so she said fine, uh, nice, I'll ask you some questions and then she said something along the lines of oh, this morning we have Christopher uh, Titmus uh, from England and he is a drama teacher. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> and then and then and then and then she and then she said, 
the scientists believe that the world uh, was formed out of the Big Bang. She said that the um, um, Christians believe and religious people believe that God created the world. She said, what do you Buddhists believe like that? So I said to her, Buddhists believe that uh, the world was formed from elephant shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not quite sure if that four-lettered word had been used in the ABC studios while people are eating their muesli, but anyway, (laughs) uh, there. And and then she, she, I had to laugh, She, she said she was rather serious, she said, do Buddhists believe that there were elephants before the world. <laughs> you know, and I thought, just such a lovely picture of these beautiful creatures of India and Thailand and Laos floating through the air, one got a bit of shit and out of it we come, I go. Such a better view than these Christian, the, the religious and the science view. Uh, that's anyway there. In, 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 in other words, from a Dharma perspective, what does it matter? What big difference is it going to make to our life whether this view is going back millions, if millions and millions of, 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 of years there? And, and if we do believe our scientists, or we do believe our religious uh, teachers, or or, or, or whatever heck, we've got plenty to deal with or, or, with a, or already, and it's in that kind of uh, uh, spirit. And uh, the Buddha himself, that don't be concerned with how the world began and 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 uh, all of that. Look how it is. Look what's our relationship to it, and really putting much more uh, priority uh, on 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 that. And the outcome of that, then he went. Um, to Saranath and from Saranath <coughs> gave these teachings to his friends they all thought he'd copped out they all thought he'd gone wee he wasn't really a hardcore yogi punishing himself uh, any longer and then they realised that whoa he's realised something there and in the first discourse it has as much application and reference today as it did 2,600 years ago, the first discourse, without any other discourse, he said, the human beings are in a problematic condition, suffering, there, because of the self and because of the extremes. And the two extremes that human beings are engaged in is constantly trying to build ourselves up as one extreme and put ourselves down at the other. And the dukkha, the suffering of both, is, you know, I'm putting my language now, a nightmare for human beings. Building ourselves up with all the vulnerability of crashing, disillusionment, not being understood by others, a reaction in ourselves, or putting ourselves down. And to somehow find a way of life, in life, of finding a middle way between these two frequently used views. And that's what the teaching is about.
pretty unambiguous uh, um, in that respect. Sometimes, just on the outer for the moment and just to uh, reflect uh, here, as one's practice, in the periods of time when there is some difficulties, to really check in with ourselves and also with, with each other, what might appear to be a primary cause or causes which could help to change the way of relating and looking. And quite often, if we keep repeating it, the same thing again and again, uh, there, and we still find ourselves in a difficult spot, whatever that spot might be about there, then we just to find a, a way in which, if I can just change one single condition, one small thing, it could change everything. You know, a very simple example of the, 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 the if one smokes, hopefully you don't, but if, it's, if one smokes, it needs conditions for that inhalation. You're going to need a cigarette, or a kickoff, and uh, one is going to need a hand which reaches out for it, for another, and one going to need a lighter or a box of uh, matches for the other and then it's going to need another condition, something's got to go in the mouth and it's going to be and that's still not enough, it's going to need another condition that the uh, matches have got to be close to the end of the cigarette and it's going to be another condition light it and it's going to be another condition, inhale it and it's going to be another condition, exhale it and do it again and perhaps a person may be able to live with that for some decades and then the cancer kicks in tragic tragic but it all required a variety of conditions like I just used as a small example there and just to take out one, any one of those conditions nothing could happen any one of them you take out of that and that same principle applies in numerous other situations we just take out the one and sometimes the intuition or the insight, you just notice one small thing that changes and it changes everything. It's so interconnected and interrelated uh, there. <clears throat> and with the, the teaching, people would say to me and sometimes also will uh, uh, say to, uh, say, might, uh, uh, ask you about Know, what, what the teachings are uh, about and of course with that there can be a whole variety of um, different responses which may um, uh, may come and it's probably with our responses that emerge um, it's probably a, you know an aspect you know so one person <coughs> may say um, how to meditate deeply I want to go deeply into myself meditation seems to be really supportive for that genuine an aspect of the teaching um, I have issues in my life I need some fresh way of looking at them the teachings are supportive for that um, I need to explore uh, the heart and open up the heart and find love and happiness uh, in my life 
I need to let go and explore this. I may know, may not understand what these teachings are about, but there possibly there's something in it which is valid there. I remember the much-loved Buddhist teacher, the Dalai Lama, um, in uh, Saranath, sorry, in Bodh Gaya, giving the teachings, actually in the village where uh, the Buddha had his uh, awakening in the Thai monastery. And before he became a superstar, um, it was uh, fairly easy to meet with him and have some contact there and to, in his lovely and sweet and gracious way, genuinely makes himself very available and accessible. And so once I went over to uh, see him and I, a couple of times actually and asked him, look, could you come and give a talk to the meditators on the retreat? And uh, he said, yes, of course, I'm uh, happy to uh, come over. So they're all sitting in the meditation uh, hall and in walks the, the Dalai Lama and like, oh! you know, uh, he refused, bless his heart, to... Uh, um, sit on the on the on, on the throne. You know, in English, the throne is what the Queen sits on, and it's also the toilet. You can just kind of, <laughs> whichever view you like. It's also fine. With, uh, uh, so he just kindly just uh, 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 sat there, and the one thing that I remember, which statement that he made, which um, stands out, and I think it, in a way reflects something of the generosity and the spirit, the best spirit of the tradition. He said to the group, look, um, it was a very international uh, group, and he said, look, try this practice for three years. And he said, look, if it doesn't work for you, try Christianity instead. And it, and it kind of reflects the um, kind of generosity of, uh, of, of spirit and the, and the openness and, and really encouraging people to uh, explore. Of course, there are groups, Buddhist groups, as well as many others, where it's terribly enclosed and people are told, only do this and don't do uh, anything else. But... The, best of the Dharma doesn't hold to a view that a specific method or form is the answer and it's only about this it's not, not, not it's a, an exploratory teaching and what that means is if you find in your exploration of the four truths as an example or your exploration of the, of the path as an example or what liberation means, if you find that time with a yoga teacher really works for you explore yoga if you find time with a psychologist or a counsellor or a mind body uh, person really explore that if you find that other teachings are really nourishing and helpful for you explore explore that it's a a vast vision it's not an enclosed uh, uh, insular one and it's a pity that there are cases and you will know as I know where Sometimes it gets very closed and rather dogmatic around a form, a method, a teacher, a guru. And, and I'm not sure if it's a liberation teaching or empire building. I'm not sure if it's a liberation teaching or holding people. And if it gets too held too tightly, 
the, the persons tend to be rather judgmental of others who are not in their group uh, there, and the ego begins to build an identity out of it. I'm not sure if that's a liberation teaching. It can be a teaching of contraction. And, and there is some risk in stepping out and, and exploring with different communities and with different sanghas, but it's re- in the real spirit of the Buddha's Dharma. He himself uh, expressed regularly praise for other teachers and other teachings. It, it, it is, a, in its very best sense, an open-spirited, warm, tolerant, caring, non-violent teaching. And the best of that culture and tradition, you and I and others, really have a genuinely deep commitment uh, uh, there. And with the life itself and in the, the movement of life, as we connect and we go all right, and, and move along in the various uh, circles uh, that we uh, meet with, sometimes it's not easy to know what the what the middle way uh, uh, is, and quite really, this is barely anything to do with the talk, but it, it, I I had to laugh when I when I heard this, and sometimes it's say it's not so easy to know what the middle way is between one and 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 the other, and my uh, sister, her ex husband, his family were in the theatre. And films and and uh, and that world and and uh, knew the family of course uh, quite well and his father that's that means my father-in-law of my sister was a really lovely lovely man in himself and as many actors are of both genders are very excellent at being somebody who they are not but sometimes being who they are is a bit more difficult. And the incident, and this is what made me laugh, was that they were very good friends with um, a rather well-known English actor named Roger Moore. This is going back 20 or 30 years or more, who was one of the James Bond characters in the James Bond films there. And, of course, there, there, there were the Bond girls, etc., and with these scenes, um, when Roger Moore uh, uh, was there, particularly when these rather beautiful uh, women, Roger Moore's wife would go and watch, sit beside, <laughs> this is, this is, sit beside the director's chair, <laughs> watching what was going on uh, uh, there. And Roger Moore um, said, and I think it's just a, a precious statement, he, he said to one of these extraordinary actresses, uh, uh, beautiful actresses, as they got into bed together, you know, in the, the bond scene, and, and, and he, he, he said to her, he said, um, if I get an erection, um, I, I do apologise. And then he said, if I don't get an erection, I do apologise. <laughs> now, it's very hard to find a middle way between those two. <laughs> that, was, that, that was the thought that arose in my mind. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah. 
<laughs> I told you it had nothing to do with the talk, but it just, it just, it just, it just made me laugh. So, <laughs> just coming to uh, uh, the conclusion, there is all the relativity of, the, of this life. But sometimes we have a taste, a glimmer, a touch of something which transcends. It's not in any way a rejection of the world. We're not here to reject. We're never here to say the world is an illusion. We're never here to, oh, the world is uh, uh, empty and, uh, oh, it's just impermanent or, or whatever. There is no anti-life view in these teachings. It's a, it's a, a teaching of intimacy, of love, of compassion, of appreciative joy, of stability and equanimity, close things. And sometimes in the midst of these things, they can be lovely, sweet, profound, deep uh, moments there of something which kind of all this, which we call the world, or rests in something bigger, something vast, something profound. And we can use many words for that. As I mentioned, the Buddha used more than a hundred words for it, including the word God, by the way. Brahma, use that word too. And Brahman, actually, he used and that sense of something there. And the importance of that is when there is a genuine, authentic sense of something vast and, and profound, it puts our small, modest life into a proper perspective. That's what that does. We get our life into perspective. And when we've got it into perspective, there is a natural modesty and the natural humility and a natural reverence for life because we're not inflaming our own modest life in this great journey that we're all going through in this field, great field of existence uh, there and the teachings point to that and they point to that liberation and that waking up in that immeasurable sense um, again and again there which holds the heart and it holds the mind and it holds the body and it holds the community and it holds the diversity and let's take a real interest in that as we engage in the explorations.